Welcome to today's episode of That's My Niche, a podcast introducing professionals across all industries on how they carved out their own niche. I'm Nina Dorfer, founder of Le Bureau, a Paris-based design studio for technical knit development. My very own niche, so to say. For today's episode, I sat down with one of Austria's most trailblazing and productive women on the design sphere. I'm talking about Laura Karasinski, who owns the namesake agency in the heart of Vienna's 8th district. Together with her team, she produces all things visual, advertising, print and interior design for clients worldwide. At 18, she started out as a graphic designer, making her first money creating flyers for the clubbing scene under her former name, House Mädchen. Now, 10 years later, she works with prestigious brands like Yves Saint Laurent, Universal Music, Campari, as well as shops and restaurants around Austria. Laura has been named one of Forbes 30 under 30 most influential business leaders in the country and has become well known for her aesthetics that are driven by a love for plants, vintage furniture, velvet and antique Viennese store signs. When we sat down for the interview, Laura and her team of seven were in the process of moving to a new office. Quite the change since she declares herself an introvert and has made her iconic apartment also her workplace ever since opening Atelier Karasinski's doors. In 2015, Laura won the Woman of the Year Award by an Austrian publishing group and held a TED talk about being a highly sensitive person that has been watched worldwide over 30,000 times. She's a keen public speaker and university tutor who loves to share her experience and knowledge with a large audience. Without further ado, please enjoy episode number one of That's My Niche. And now, over to Laura. Um, my name is Laura and my niche is designing all things possible mm -hmm. from from the beginning, um, from all ranges, through all um, disciplines, just everything you can imagine being designed. So when I walked up here in the 8th district, I was, um, it was probably a very uh, subjective experience because I was walking up to your studio. So I noticed all the signs and I think that's kind of your thing as well that yes. you really like um different fonts and also designing them yeah. um does this have a did this always have a really great impact on your work growing up in vienna from of an course. early age yes of course also growing up between two countries traveling through poland and always going back and forth to see my family had a huge impact on my social um life and also how to approach and see stuff because there's just so much to see and the different cultures the different uh, languages really helped in um forming my creative thinking i i think so where did you grow up i grew up in in actually first in lower austria mm -hmm. then we um then we moved to vienna but um my whole family is from poland so mm -hmm. my parents immigrated in the 70s mm -hmm. And actually just got to know each other in Vienna, mm -hmm. but they were from Poland. And so um, basically my whole family is still in Poland or sticking together. Yeah. <laughs> so what were you like as a kid? What what kind of stories does your mom tell you? Uh, shy. Really? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I was, I'm a highly sensitive person and I've always been a quiet, shy kid in the corner painting. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, didn't you also do your TED Talk yes. on being... Ah, yeah. mm -hmm. okay. And so that's um, in contrast to what many people think. <laughs> because I, I would have never guessed. Yeah. Because you're very, I don't know, very precise in your language. 
So I would never have guessed that you're actually a shy person. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> Full on. So is that kind of an... So did it always serve as an as a sort of escape to mm -hmm. go and draw and... Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. It's been very... Um, it's, it's like meditation, mm -hmm. painting. So when I look at your trajectory... Um, It looks like you always knew what you wanted to do. Uh, to me, it seems like you had a lot of clarity what your path would be. Yeah, that's a, that's a funny thing. I never planned anything considering my career or work life. It just happened. You know, I was I was always the kid in the corner painting and people got to uh, got to know me through my books. I had this big black books where I always like painted my kind of a diary, but not um, writing it just in, in, in pictures. And so one day a friend of me approached me and just said, you should really publish this in some way. And social media um, came in very handy at that time because it wasn't overused like I think it is those days. Mm -hmm. uh, so you really had this momentum where people were, you know, seeing you mm -hmm. and just swiping. Mm -hmm. to the next picture and um, I started posting um, a drawing like once a week and it got a real uh, huge attention span and um, from one day to the other uh, it was born like the brand was born back then it was called House Mädchen mm -hmm. uh, which was my kind of alter ego back then mm -hmm. and then it evolved uh, after few years to my company mm -hmm. called Atelier Karasinski right now. And then you were still in uni back then. Yes, I founded my company while studying mm -hmm. uh, by accident, more or less. I didn't plan on really founding it on that specific day. I just went to the Wirtschaftskammer, which is the the, the house of corporate, uh, I don't know how it's, you know, where you get your licenses for mm -hmm. work and just wanted to get an info about how to to do all those things and mm -hmm. to, to pay my um, uh, VAT things, you know, the, the whole oh, yeah, the post, VAT yeah, VAT, yeah. yeah, and everything about that. Um, and the lady just said um, to wait 30 minutes and came back with two uh, two pieces of paper stating that I am um, agency now oh, really? yeah and I was like okay well then let's do it so was that based on a project that you were doing at the time yeah I was I was working back then for almost every um, club you could find mm -hmm. in the around the first district like Volksgarten um, and I was doing flyers almost every day I just designed like seven flies a week um, mm -hmm. and it went really well and people really liked it and mm -hmm. then uh, I started to gain good money mm -hmm. back then at least there was a, it was nice mm -hmm. um, being being 19 20 years old and getting getting your own money it was pretty pretty nice and then mm -hmm. I started uh, thinking okay let's maybe that's that's you know the way to do it so in the early days, did you experience some ups and downs, um, let's say in the first year or two, what were... Until today. It is in constant flow. It comes in waves. So what would you say was a rock bottom that you hit? Um, I don't think there was a rock bottom work-wise I mean of course there's always highs and lows and you know you make bad decisions sometimes and or you you are in stress and something doesn't work out the way you planned it but that's okay it's totally normal um so I don't think I have a rock bottom in this case but what I experienced um it was only two years ago was more on a uh, human level mm -hmm. of trust with clients where um Yeah, it just didn't work out um, in a, um, let's say, empathic way. Mm -hmm. uh, and I learned a lot about people mm -hmm. and trust and clients and uh, dynamics of, of, of the business I didn't see before, which was, um, yeah, life-altering, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you feel... Being a woman in the business, do you feel you're being treated differently? 
Uh, it depends. On some cases, for sure, also because we work or I work um, also in a field that is somehow very... Um, um, manly <laughs> mm-hmm. or you know a lot of men especially when we work in the construction on construction sites mm. or uh, design interiors there are always a lot of men which is good because they do good work but it's still you know the energy in those places is different mm-hmm. um, and so I see that that sometimes I don't get taken serious if people don't know who I am mm-hmm. or what I am for mm-hmm. in a specific place they um, sometimes think I'm just an which is not bad but you know sometimes you just think I'm an assistant or I'm just uh, here for uh, cleaning also happened so you're a stereotype yeah yeah (laughs) for sure Uh, but it's funny that the moment because I I like to play with it sometimes Mm -hmm. um, just out of fun because you know you should have fun on the way Mm -hmm. Um, and it's always funny if um, the moment they recognize or you know get that um, I'm the person who designed this whole place or I'm mm-hmm. the person who has to tell an older man what to do, mm-hmm. uh, how the dy- dynamic changes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but always in a good way. I would never like, you know, yeah. make fun of someone just because he do- he's just uh, in his um, way of thinking. He's been thought all his life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um so I can imagine with everything, doing everything for the first time, um, did you have a mentor along the way? Um, not like a specific person. I had different people in my life that I'm um, and like forever thankful for. Um, different from different stages in my life to different, um, yeah, surroundings. It's just been good friends also clients um yeah that that are there and still are there because i think it's very important to just have like you don't have to have uh, much of friends mm-hmm. i don't think um you can be friends with everybody but at least to have two two three you know people where you can be absolutely free where you don't have to filter everything you say mm-hmm. it's very important so do you do you have a lot of self belief or did your parents instill that in you? My self belief completely came through my work. Mm-hmm. That's the the base of my whole self esteem is based on my work, and that's why I think um, I do the work I do because mostly it's just for love, a lot of love. Mm-hmm. As self-love, love from other people. Janis Joplin once said a really nice quote, actually, about that. That maybe it's uh, success is not about the money, not about the fame. It's just about the love, the love you get and the love you own yourself. Mm-hmm. Which I think is uh, basically how I feel about it. Oh, so you're basically doing what lights you up. Yeah, more mm-hmm. or less. I think that's why it's also so hard if something doesn't work out mm. till today because it's so it's such an emotional and sensitive work, you know, that the work I do at least if for how it feels for me is you um, getting into a relationship with every single person you meet mm-hmm. on work-wise, you know, and it's such a sensitive work we do is designing, for example, a corporate identity. You really are designing this um, identity for another person and it's one of the most... Um, precious things I can imagine doing you know getting the trust from someone to handle something like this is just the the picture someone will forever in the best case forever hold in front of themselves or the company mm-hmm. and you are doing it you know you are designing it mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah it's very special I think yeah because it's kind of the first touch point exactly people perceive yeah um, so you offer quite a wide range of services what do you what would you say is your strongest asset um, I would like to think that our strongest asset is really trying to feel the person we are working with. Mm-hmm. We spend a ridiculous amount of time um, researching and getting information about the topic or the field or the person or the company we are um, we are servicing, you know. Um, 
And that's, I think, is the, is the base of our, that's our biggest asset. We try to, to get every information we can get. We make efforts to, for, for uh, example, we once designed a restaurant that was um, back then 42 years old, and it's a true Viennese icon. Um, and we had nine months time for research, or we took nine months a time of research, like a pregnancy, um, <laughs> to find the first ever um, barkeeper that worked there to get his stories mm -hmm. and his experiences. And he's, you know, he never, he didn't work there for 30 years and he was so, um, he was so friendly still and so nice and just kept telling all these stories and it, it helped so much in evolving the whole concept. So that's the, that's the, yeah, that's the amount of... How did you effort. find the guy? Just ask people, you know, in this research. <laughs> That's what Everybody we do. knows everyone yeah. in town. <laughs> um, so when you first started out, um, how did you determine uh, your value and how did you go about pricing? No idea. It was just like, no idea. And nobody tells you, you know, we've been, uh, I've been studying at the university and I, I can still remember to, to this day, I, I was, I asked my professor what I should, you know, um, charge, charge an hour. And he just looked at me and said, well, you have to know that yourself. Mm. And I'm like, you know, how, <laughs> how should I know this? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. And then, um, I just slowly started to, with a little amount, you know, it just, Got, a, got bigger step by step mm -hmm. but until today there's still like fields where I have absolutely no idea <laughs> and nobody tells you because nobody knows in so the end nobody knows how do you decide yourself is it just intuitively is it through conversation with the client or yeah I mean now those days I know <laughs> it was 10 years of, of work to get to this point where I more or less know what's what's worth the the amount of time and research and also I have free employees and somehow you get into it you know you you know how big the expenses are what to expect what you have to pay the the government which is 50% so you kind of it it you will get there but at the beginning it was hard But for designers especially, which I got to know way too late, um, there's Design Austria, mm -hmm. which I can highly recommend. It's um, it's like a um, institution for designers where you can apply and they provide you with every single information you need. If you don't know how much to charge, they will tell you. Oh, really? Yes, they have workshops with different other designers on how to calculate, how to argue, how to, mm -hmm. um, you know, everything that it considers design and um, work and business. Mm -hmm. They will help you with that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I can, that really helped me a lot. Oh, that's a really great kernel yeah. of wisdom. <laughs> yes. And I think you can even, everything connected with design mm -hmm. can can be a part of it. Yeah. Should look into that. Yes, everybody, <laughs> everybody soon. in design in Vienna should really. I highly recommend. Yeah. Um, so, do clients ever question your abilities? Or yeah, sometimes it happens. So, what are the arguments? Are they are oh, you're still young? Yes. Or? Yes. They, we have the thing about us is that we um, we have projects of all shapes and sizes. We have clients like um, independent young people coming to us that don't have a lot of budget, and we have like the huge players like Campari or uh, Universal Music Group. And you know, it's hard to. Of course, we try to approach everyone in a human, uh, you know, way, just telling them, okay, what's your budget? Can we work with that? Of course, we have our prices, but I would never, like, not consider help someone if the budget is not what we normally charge. Mm -hmm. But in my experience, um, unfortunately, what often happens if, is that people... Um, mm. I don't know, it's like hard to say. Sometimes it happens that people who, uh, where we compromise on the price, often ask more in the end that we mm -hmm. we agreed on. And that's, uh, that's a troubleshooter then, you know? Mm -hmm. And have any of the big, bigger companies, do they 
do they trust you completely or do they uh, doubt more? No, the big companies always trusted us completely. Mm -hmm. It's more in the in the actually smaller in the individuals often asked more questions than the big companies. <laughs> Let's say it like that. Um, and but it's okay because you know sometimes people I didn't know in the beginning so it's completely yeah. fine to ask questions and mm -hmm. have doubts and double check with everything that's totally normal and it's um it's a part of my job to be there and have answers and as long as I have answers there will be questions that's totally okay oh my god I think I would be your worst nightmare <laughs> <laughs> so controlling no it's okay I'm I'm controlling too it's just uh, it's a, it's a give and take and it's okay mm. yeah Yeah, because like sometimes I guess it's it, I guess it's hard if because you're only in the beginning you're only communicating with words, but everybody imagines something completely different in their heads. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I learned. You have that's to just really so difficult. really put pin everything down, yeah. write everything down, get everything on paper because that's that's exactly where. Um, where problems happen or not problems just like miscommunication mm -hmm. happens still till day it's still okay but you know the older the more experience you have and that's what I learned for sure in my business is just to make sure you can never expect everybody to to see the, the picture you have in your head so the more you, the work you put in um, before that's that's better in the end yeah. yeah because if I say green your green is different than my green 50 shades <laughs> of green you know <laughs> yeah um, so on a regular weekday what does that look like um, waking up Monday to Friday Friday sometimes we I just sleep longer but Monday to, to Thursday it's 10 till 7 work mm -hmm. um, and just you know waking up having the first hour for, for my own from 9 to 10 at 10 my my employees arrive and then just a normal day starts off mm -hmm. what's your routine in the morning in, just, that, in that hour that you take to yourself I just routine? think like everybody else is getting up getting into the bathroom getting ready putting clothes on drink a cup of coffee with <laughs> coconut milk and then just start the day I just really like to take 15 minutes in bed with my coffee. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else does that, but I like I get up, Sundays. do my thing, and then get back into yeah. bed. Just 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I love sleep. Yeah. I'm not kidding. It's just, I love sleep. But um, life changes when you have employees. Mm. Are so, you a night owl? I... If I don't control myself, I will be an adult, yes. But I try to uh, to um, implement this um, school-like schedule in my mm -hmm. life because work happens in at noon, you know. People are more active in the mornings. Clients are more active in the mornings. I was sleeping until 10 before I had employees. I started work at 12. A lot of things happen at eight in the morning, so I try to, you know, push myself to the point where I accepted that not everybody has the freedom to work from 12 till 10 in the, you know, mm. evening. So yeah, yeah. I guess it depends on your on your type. Yeah, like I got my clients to the point where they accepted that I'm not available before 10, mm. um, but still. I think I, after 10 years, I owe them <laughs> to be available before 10. <laughs> yeah, of. it's tricky sometimes because with, yeah, people start work early, exactly. especially if they're family or something. Yeah, like and that. especially yeah. in Austria, it's like mm. from, from eight till five and after five, it's so hard to reach anybody. Yeah. And five is my prime time, you know, five, <laughs> I'm like, I'm there, glowing. <laughs> yeah. So I'm all about self-care and rituals. Um, what's your go-to method to wind down and relax and take Laura time? Um, not working on the weekends, of course. I worked for years, I worked on the weekends, which is basically fine if you don't have enough time during the week. But it was a major step to say, okay, I'm not working after seven and I stopped working five years ago um, on the weekends which was good and now I'm I'm finally there it doesn't stress me anymore because in the beginning it was very very stressful mm -hmm. you know it was kind of like uh yeah it was hard getting 
was it a mental step to yeah. be like I should I should I should yeah yeah or not should but um, there's so much to do and time is I'm not investing my time right if mm -hmm. by not doing anything and to learn that not doing anything doesn't mean not doing anything just like taking time off to be to be free you know mm -hmm. to, to clear your head to have enough to be even more um Uh, better at work on Monday when mm -hmm. you don't work Sunday. Yeah. Um, so this was a huge step. And then just the usual stuff, you know, meditating. I'm, um, since for years, I'm doing craniosacral. Mm -hmm. I think it's craniosacral mm -hmm. in English, which I love, which changed my life. What exactly did I do? It's a kind of... <laughs> do you go to therapist to do this? Yes. Mm -hmm. She's a, she's a um, human energy therapist I don't know how to say in English it's human energeticerin and she just works with um, your craniosacralis um, kind of um, um, yeah it's hard to, to say in English to be honest I never thought about <laughs> it in English it's just is it like Reiki or kind of it? yeah it's from the same so she's shifting around yes. your energy yes. fields or yes. something. Yes, yes, she's working with my my bones actually. It's craniosacralis, the the head bones, mm -hmm. and the rest of your body because when they aren't in balance, mm -hmm. stress happens in your body. Yeah, and so she tries to, with soft like touches, um, something like a physiotherapist, mm -hmm. uh, to to bring my bones in balance. Mm -hmm. And so everything that is in stress. You know, gets into it. it's like a f very flowy work. Mm -hmm. How often do you do that? Um, what, now, once a month. So I know you're moving. You're about to move. Yes. <laughs> you just told me. But how do you draw the line between uh, this is my office and this is my home to live and work in the same space? Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people think it's like a burden or something that's really hard. But for me, it's it's amazing it's paradise it's i don't have to move out i don't have to get out i can be in my little cocoon mm -hmm. whenever i want and since i learned how not to work on my weekends it's just it's easy mm -hmm. just this is work and this is life or both this life of course so that i switch off my head and say okay i'm i'm out see you monday is it's a constant flow of thinking and thoughts and ideas and work and stuff but um Brain work will be there forever and handiwork is Monday till Friday. <laughs> so isn't that really perfect for a hypersensitive yes, person? Yes, it is. It is. Believe me, it is. <laughs> not right. the yeah. U-Bahn. Yeah. And the office is just three minutes walk, walking distance. The new one. So it's just around the corner. So when is the move going to happen? In four months. Because it's still renovated. Um, and then you have... Your home is then only gonna be your home. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like it's gonna be my home and still like my my backup office. And um, I'm also renting it out for for movie shoots and stuff. So it's always kind of it will be essentially what it what it started and what it always was. Um, it always will be the mother of all ateliers I will ever mm -hmm. have. But the other one will be the the businessy, you know. Yeah. So how did that decision come about to, after all these years? <laughs> yeah, just just not enough space anymore mm. because we have grown um, in two years from zero to four employees mm -hmm. and or three employees, including me. We are four four ladies. Um, yeah, and it's just out of out of space and time and respect to have enough space for everybody. I notice your love for interior design very much. <laughs> it's all over the place. <laughs> What's your game plan when you're tasked with an empty space? Just like on brandings, it's it's the same process. Just get every information you can get. Dive in deep, you know. <laughs> Find every single single link. Um, get get to know the person you're working with. Um, interview them about their thoughts about how the room should feel like, what they want to express, which person they would like to host, if it's a restaurant, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, because we do mostly work in the um, yeah in this business with restaurants and cafes, and we are designing a hotel right now. 
and um, just to ask them, you know, how, how should this place feel? What, what should it make you feel? Mm -hmm. And according to that, we just start. What was your favorite material? I love velvet. <laughs> of course, who doesn't? Velvet is the best thing. Is it really hard to not go for velvet? It depends. I mean, I think um, it's a timeless material. I don't think mm. you can... You can overdo it, of course, if you... Or not, depends on your taste. I would... Uh, yeah, I can imagine it being too much in, in some ways. But I think other than that, it's a classic, iconic... Um, authentic material. Mm -hmm. So you love going to the flea market, right? Yes. <laughs> How do you choose what to buy? Just by feeling. <laughs> It's a, Are you I a think, compulsive flea market shopper? No, 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 no. I've been before, but um, I changed a lot of my habits in the past years. Uh, also uh, because of... Just, I think just growing up and rethinking life and what is really needed and also because of obvious environment reasons. Um, I went vegan two years ago mm -hmm. and with that came a lot of change considering also materials I use. I try, um, I aim for using um, eco-friendly materials I always try to find the most ecological possible ecological way of designing I um, advise my clients on different materials or what not to use especially just basic things like, like straws when I don't think or when we don't think it's necessary mm -hmm. but always in a, like of course friendly and um um, normal way just so I'm curious what material is velvet made of um, depends on like you can do it out of cotton mm -hmm. or silk which is more expensive <laughs> um, yeah but mostly cotton mm -hmm. and there's also uh, I think um, some plastic materials you can make of. is there any trends like for you personally in how to what kind of materials to to go to when you design an like a, a hotel, let's say? Trends? Mm -hmm. Right now, I think terrazzo is a big trend. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a nice trend because I think terrazzo was in the 50s the most durable, um, just normal thing to use because it's undestroyable and it's mm -hmm. so nice and a lot of people hated it mm -hmm. <laughs> after after the time because it was everywhere and now it gets its its hype back and I think it's... Um, It's more than welcome to to be back. They also have a really nice. They have not, they produce nice updated versions, like color wise. Yes, <laughs> they do, and it's so many different kinds of. Yeah, it's just it's just beautiful. I love it. Mm -hmm. I would do it everywhere. It's just really expensive <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. So, um, what about this whole like mushroom or um, algae, uh, that kind of stuff? Have you ever touched on those things? Like mushroom leather. Yeah, yeah, I heard you can make leather out of um, pineapple. Mm -hmm, yeah. As well, true, yes. True. We decided last year that if it's possible, because of yeah circumstances and usage and stuff, not to use any animal skin mm -hmm. anymore, or nothing where an animal gets compromised in a in a not uh, friendly way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we stopped using leather. And um, yeah, now we work with with leather imitates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I also feel really bad whenever, for example, in the shoe industry, and mm. everybody is about the knitted shoe trend and mm. all the uses polyester. Um, so I'm really happy to hear that people my generation or also the generation above mine that they are all trying to get away from plastic and yeah go for other materials but it's just such a hard yeah it's hard thing to deplastify because in everyday life yeah it's everywhere 
It's crazy. And even in the cosmetics industry, mm. you can't even produce a simple bottle. Yeah. That, that, that it's not even recyclable. Yeah, I know. Because it's so we had, um, we had a client. It didn't, uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out in a way because they didn't get enough funding. But they were trying to put this um, uh, natural skincare mm. on the market. And we researched like the hell out of it to find recycler, like nice, eco-friendly um, packaging, which is not possible. Mm-hmm. You can't get a hundred percent ecological um, packaging that is that is eco-friendly and also recyclable. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, like aluminium takes about seven hundred years to get fully recycled, as far as I know. Um, also, glass can only be recycled seven times or something mm-hmm. like that. And so it's 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 not possible. But it, the, the small thing you can do is at least try not to use plastic. Mm-hmm. And I know that this one big, uh, big brand that makes natural cosmetics invested a lot of money at the Swiss company that produces plastic packaging out of recycled pads, um, BPA-free pads bottles. Yeah. So at least there's something happening. Mm-hmm. But which what what is said about that is that they um, they're not sharing it with anybody, you know, because they invested so much money in in proce- like producing it, they're not giving it away to to any other party or any other brand, just keeping it for themselves, which I find is sad. But they might open up in the future. Yeah, there is a few offices that um, do a lot of research uh, on materials and Mm -hmm. how to produce biodegradable versions. Um, It's a tricky path because if they shared, then a big player would come in Mm. and then make money off of their formula and idea. And on the other hand, it's like... If you don't open up or if you don't cooperate somehow, it's never going to be affordable. Exactly. And it's also, it's still not, I think, not fully there where, where it can be because you always, you have those restrictions. If you use um, this this recyclable, biodegradable, biopet, whatever bottle, it, it might happen that it degrades why you're using it you know because the the acids inside mm-hmm. that the good acids in in the cream um are too too acidic for the bottle you know that could happen you could sometimes you can you can't leave it you can there's still no way at least as far as i know to produce clear packaging because um it's not as durable as the you know not not see-through packaging mm-hmm. it's just a whole it's a whole new world which I think uh, will will come one day, and it's going to be possible. But until then, we all have to do everything in our, um, you know, power uh, to not destroy this planet we have because we we've been kicking it for the past decades, hardly. And um, yeah, it's so crazy if you think like, oh, we invented plastic and everybody yeah. went off on this whole plastic tangent and now to reverse that yeah. Yeah. it's just it yeah. seems nearly impossible yeah but what um, what saddens me is that it's we know we might know a lot of people who were thinking like that and are mm. in the, you know in this kind of bubble but there are so many people that have no idea there are so many people that think it's good to buy 50 balloons for the wedding and putting enough in mm. the in in the sky which is looks nice but it's it's just so it's it's mental you know yeah. it doesn't make any sense and so there's a lot i think there's a lot still a lot of work to do mm. um and it might maybe it should become law you know it, it's getting there but uh, yeah it's it saddens me yeah yeah, when you go, yeah, I know, when you go into, I mean, I'm also a bit, like, <laughs> very sensitive about materials, just because of work, um, and then going into any of the cheap stores, mm. not like, it could be a clothing store, but could also be like a supermarket, and the things, like, just touching them, mm. and everything wrapped in plastic, it's just like... 
who does that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who had this idea? Who approved this? Yeah. Makes people. no sense. Or these like plastic sheets in between the cheese. Yeah. Say, <laughs> so why do you need a plastic sheet in between every single slice of cheese? Convenience. Oh, man. It's just convenience because, yeah. But it's, it's shifting. I think that's also... It already started and I think there's going to be a big shift also considering uh, digital devices in mm. media I, I see a regression on people like joining Facebook or deleting Facebook and stuff like that I think there's a there's a new need for privacy coming up which mm. I also kind of feel more the older I, I get mm -hmm. um, so that's going to be interesting as well and I think that's going to also um, help people get back to Okay, let's let's say it like that. I think invention and um, modernization of things is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not the type of person like longing for the older days, you know, because back then everything was better. I don't think that. I don't. I think process is necessary and good, and evolution it's 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 part of life. Um, but we shouldn't we shouldn't forget what was there, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, we also should try not to make it worse in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also think that what's going on right now with uh, data and Facebook is something that we can't grasp really as a as a part on this earth mm -hmm. because we don't know what the consequences kind of will be. Mm -hmm. When you think about that, that we mostly all of us grew up without even having a phone because there were no phones and now every single kid has a phone or every single baby is already on Facebook mm. not even knowing it mm. is kind of crazy for me yeah yeah and I'm also rethinking that a lot right now like where how would you raise your children not on the internet <laughs> <laughs> to be honest yeah I would like if I could could have anything and would have the budget for it I would buy it at a house somewhere in, in in the woods Lower Austria. <laughs> yeah really like in the woods and be there most of their childhoods and of course I love you and I love the city I would love to work there but having like a refugee mm -hmm. somewhere refuge a refuge <laughs> you can also have a refugee also refugees <laughs> of course I fully support refugees <laughs> it's a good uh, good idea have I have one when you can help someone else. Exactly. So what's coming up for you and your company besides the move? Like what are you, what's what has 2019? Um after 10 years in the business, I have will have my first person to to make to manage key accounts and clients for me. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a a gift to myself. Mm -hmm. Um being mature enough to let it go you know and give that position to someone else it's also a lot of control mm -hmm. you give to, to another person and it's um it's the first thing to do after being the owner of the company you also have to you know run the company money-wise and giving that away it was a huge step for me and i'm very excited and very very happy that um her name is charlie is joining us in april Oh, wow. And from there on, we'll manage all clients. How did you go about the hiring process? Uh, I didn't. I never hired her. Like, I never looked for it. I just got to know her, and I had the feeling that she would be the right person, and mm -hmm. I tried. And it, uh, yeah, and it happened. Mm -hmm. Who have been your idols back then, and who are your idols now? Maybe female. Yeah, back then it was only men. Mm -hmm. um, and I was thinking about that a lot <laughs> just last week because there were no female role models presented. Mm -hmm. They were for sure, but they were not presented as ones back then. Um, so I didn't look up to a lot of women. And also I was raised in a very patriarchal society. So looking up to men was normal. You know, I never, I never thought about looking to women, mm -hmm. some kind of, ex except the women in my family, which were always self-employed. So my mother mm -hmm. was, was self-employed um, forever and growing up with her running her own business doing her own stuff was for sure also normal for me back then looking at it now it's it's not it wasn't normal back then in the mm -hmm. in the early 90s being you know the woman that feeds the whole house was still different from today yeah. um so 
I think looking back at it, she was a huge, still is a huge in, in inspiration or teacher, of mm -hmm. course. Um, yeah, but today I have a lot of, of female idols or women I look up to. They are a lot, and a lot of them are also still young in my age, mm -hmm. um, but do brilliant things, and it's a nice thing about it. And um, that's why I also advocate a lot for, for women in the business, because I felt myself longing for those people back then. So do you think your mom, because you saw her uh, naturally being self-employed and being the breadwinner, Do you think that had an impact on your choice to just do your thing? For sure. But it wasn't like a choice. It was just like, that's the thing to do. You know, I never mm -hmm. thought about it. Mm -hmm. It was like, of course, I will get self-employed. Mm -hmm. Of course, I will not get any money from anybody else than me. And I'm um, self-sufficient since I'm 17. I never took any money from my parents after getting my first own money. Mm -hmm. Because that was like, I don't need it anymore, you know. Of course, I could have needed it. But, you know, for me, it was like, no, I'm too proud. I'm getting my own money now. <laughs> yeah, so that was good. In terms of cultural role models, what's the... Because I've always struggled with this idea... There is the stereotype of the Italian woman, the French woman, the Spanish woman. And I've always struggled with that. There is no Austrian woman, you know what I mean? Or like, I could see, okay, there is maybe a German woman <laughs> type. Mm -hmm. um, is there maybe, how did you perceive that being most of your family being from Poland like is there a stereotype or like a role model I mean you know, like in in terms of being a like a this um, yeah like a role model a female role model that you look up to something to aspire if I have that does it exist you think Like what? What's the Austrian woman for you? You know, you know. We look up to. Yeah, right. because like for me, like the Italian woman, she's fierce. She rules the household. She's also very sexy and very <laughs> passionate. She plays with men. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think about. I don't see it that way. I just think you know, a person is a person. Wherever he, she, it, they come from. Um, because I was raised bilingual and, and also by country all. <laughs> I don't know how to say. I was always I was. I lived in more houses that I can that I can you know um, count on my fingers. Um, and I never had a, a home like like other people have mm -hmm. a home. And the world is just my home. I see myself as a citizen of the world. Mm -hmm. And that's why talking about women, I just see women. I don't see an Austrian or a Spanish, of course. I understand and it's totally fine if someone has those, let's call them categories. Mm -hmm. But for me, a person is a person. Um, that's why I can also only look up gender-wise, maybe. like Because I identify as a woman, born as a woman. Uh, I look up maybe to women because it is... For sure, we have experiences that other genders don't have just mm -hmm. because of how we were born. Um, yeah. And those women I look up to are from everywhere. I mm -hmm. look up to uh, past teachers, one specific teacher I had in university, Eva Buchheim, which was back in the day also the, one of the youngest uh, creative directors in Austria mm -hmm. as a young woman in a big advertising agency uh, and is only I think one of the three women out of a bunch of professors in my university you know mm -hmm. and there's a lot of women they mm -hmm. could have hired but they didn't they also only hired men which I think is a bit saddening Uh, and maybe might change in the future. There are um, colleagues of mine uh, like um, Anna Barros from Better. She's a brilliant creative director as well. Um, and I think we are more or less the same age. There is India Madavi, which is a brilliant uh, interior designer from from Persia, but living or was born in Paris. Um, yeah. And of course, Zaha Hadid, I mean, she was the only woman 
ever, I think, winning the Pritzker Prize, which is a prize for architects. I mean, imagine mm. that. Mm. Um, in so many others from every corner of the world, not only in the design sphere, but like Jane Goodall, of course. Mm. I mean, the great. What she has done is amazing. And um, yeah, so many. <laughs> and so many we will never know of because they were constantly denied credits and access to universities like many many women um, you know there's now this new theory the theory i think that's not new but now get, gains attention is that a lot of things that men stand for or invented mm -hmm. were actually invented by the wives mm -hmm. and because they hadn't the right you know to say i did that they did it through the man and i'm sure that happens happened happened a lot and still happens in some parts of this world still mm -hmm. and um yeah, that's why we have to give them a voice and talk about them yeah definitely yeah i just struggled i think growing up i didn't know who to look up to or who to turn to mm. just looking for role models i just thought The women in my family I couldn't really relate to I do now very much relate to them and I see the great impact that they had on me um, but yeah I do agree that um, just with time and discovery you find your own role models like India Madhavi is also one of my favorites and I went to her showroom it was it, I mean it's just paradise mm. <laughs> the work she does it's really great but also I think I think it was her or Patrizia Urquiola it was one of them um, one of those two they worked with a guy and then they didn't even think about opening their own studio but the guy that they were working with encouraged them to go self-employed and um, there are many brilliant men also out there very good-hearted men that support women mm -hmm. i believe i strongly believe in that but how i think our uh, major society is socialized and um grew up with is that we still trust men more than women it's just like we grew up and it, it takes someone once told me it, it takes 10,000 years to rewrite our dna mm -hmm. and our rna our rna is the part in our in our dna were all things that the seven generations before us experienced mm -hmm. so you you carry all those trauma all mm -hmm. experiences all good and bad things mm -hmm. in you but without even knowing mm -hmm. and so i've been also working with that a lot the past few years with my own with my own traumas um and it's it's funny what what you know you can resolve just by looking into that mm -hmm. and opening up and it helped me also um resolve a lot of bs's i had mm -hmm. <laughs> and i wasn't even even you know uh aware of yeah Yeah, I think acknowledging and really turning inwards the, does major, major things. Yeah. yeah. To land this plane, um, I really want to thank you for taking out the time today. And I wish you a restful weekend. Thank you so much for having me <laughs> and doing this. <laughs> This was my chat with Laura. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share. And if someone with a niche profession within your circle should be on the podcast, don't hesitate to nominate them. Hop over to lubiro.com for more news and I'll catch you next time with another episode of That's My Niche.